I want to welcome those who are just uh, coming in to watch it on television, and uh, we just welcome you to the series of First Principles in Christ, and here we're now on the next principle called the resurrection of the dead. We trust you really listen and let God speak to your heart, and that you are established and changed because of this. So as we read in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verse 1, now leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation, here they are, repentance from dead works faith towards God, the doctrine or teaching of baptisms, baptism into Christ, in the water, in the Holy Ghost, baptism of fire, of the laying on of hands, that's what we did last week, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Last week we looked at the laying on of hands. When you uh, touch someone, you make connection with them. And the laying on of hands always implies this relationship. And we saw that the laying on of hands enabled us to receive from anointed men and women of God, to receive uh, for our needs, to receive impartations, but also we could lay hands on others and we can give. So we're in a position where if we are connected to the body of Christ and we are known, we're in a place where we can receive someone laying hands and imparting to us, activating, imparting gifts, but also God wants you to reach out and be part of his mission and to lay hands on the sick, to lay hands on people and see them recover. Today we want to look at resurrection from the dead. Now the first four principles have to deal mostly with this present world and what happens in this present world, this realm called time, the physical realm. The next two go together, resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. I would like to spend a lot more time, but I have to keep it brief uh, just at this point. I want to lay out some things on resurrection from the dead. This deals with the next realm, the realm of eternity, the realm where God is. We live in a realm called time. It's only a small thing compared to the realm of eternity where God lives. And uh, so let's just have a look at a few things I want to share. First of all, just that uh, this uh, resurrection from the dead, I want to help you understand what it is about. In the Bible, there are a number of people who are raised from the dead quite a number of people that were raised from the dead. Let's have a look at one of them in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And uh, Jesus ministers to a small girl. Her father had called him to come and uh, visit because the girl was very sick. And we read in verse uh, 39, Jesus came in and said to them, Why are you making all this noise and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. But they ridiculed him. And when he put everyone outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying, then took the child by the hand and said, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, Little girl, arise. And this girl who had been dead, immediately she rose and walked. She was 12 years old. And they were overcome with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and that said that something should be given to her to eat. Let's have a look at another resurrection from the dead in uh, John chapter 11. John chapter 11. There's a whole number of examples, but this is not what the teaching of resurrection from the dead is about. Just have a look in John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And uh, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is dead. Verse 38. Jesus came, uh, then Jesus again, groaning within his spirit, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, roll away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, 
he's been dead four days. His body's actually started the process of decay. He said, did not I save you? You would believe you'd see the glory of God. They took away from the stone, from the place where the dead man was. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. You've heard me. I know you always hear me, but because of the people standing by, I said this, they may believe you sent me. When he said these things, he cried, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died, come out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So there are stories of people being raised from the dead. In the Old Testament, there's uh, Elisha's bones were so full of resurrection power that when a body was dropped on him, immediately the man came back to life again. In the New Testament, Jesus healed and raised from the dead a young boy that was dead. This young girl raised up Lazarus from the dead. And uh, also we see in the New Testament that uh, Peter raised the young girl from the dead and also Paul raised a young man from the dead. In fact, in Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, Jesus specifically says, now get this, raising people from the dead goes with preaching the gospel. See? It goes with preaching the gospel. He told, wherever you go, preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and so on. So, the ministry of raising people from the dead was entrusted to the church. How far we've slipped from that. How far we've slipped. Yet I've heard stories in the last two or three years of people that were prayed for in New Zealand that rose again from the dead. So God, in these latter days, is restoring great power to the church. Now here's something you need to understand. All of those people who were raised from the dead that we just read about all died. So when we're teaching the doctrine of resurrection from the dead, we're teaching about something that goes much beyond that. And I want us to go there now. Let's have a look in Matthew chapter 27. We just look when Jesus rose from the dead. Matthew chapter 27. I want you to stick with me as we're going to go through a few scriptures. And uh, I want you to understand what this is about. Because you'll understand then this is the great hope of a Christian believer. In fact, it's a foundation to becoming Christian. Matthew 27, verse 62. On the next day which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered to Pilate, saying, Sir, while he was alive, the deceiver said, After three days I will rise from the dead. So command the tomb be secure till the third day, lest the disciples come by night and steal him away, and say to the people, He's risen from the dead. And the last deception be worse than the first. Pilate said, You have a guard, go your way. Make it as secure as as you know how. So they went and made the tomb where Jesus was buried secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard, which is probably four Roman soldiers. Now, after the Sabbath on the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. And they walked in. In another version tells they walked in and they saw the grave closed. Now they were wrapped around him and they had not been unraveled. They were just empty. He had risen literally risen completely out of the grave. So Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. 
The Bible calls him the firstborn. He is the first man truly resurrected. Let's have a look at a scripture in Acts 26 and verse 23. It says that Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead. So when we're talking about resurrection from the dead, we're talking about a total change of a person's body going along with their spirit being rejoined to them so they come alive. We'll, do, we'll show you a little more about this in a moment. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. So there was something about Jesus' resurrection that distinguished it from all other people who were returned to life. They were returned to life, but ultimately they died again. Jesus' resurrection was completely different. And so, from the Bible point of view, he is the first fruits, the firstborn, the first one to be resurrected from the dead and a pattern for all that is to follow. So, Jesus was the first one. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through to 8, it tells us that Jesus was seen by Peter. He was seen by the 12 apostles. He was seen by upward of 500 people. He was seen by James then he was seen by the apostles again. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear. Jesus, after he rose from the dead, was seen by hundreds of people. Hundreds of people were eyewitnesses. They saw him die on the cross. They saw the Roman soldier put the spear into his side. They knew him. he was a dead man. They took him down from the cross, and now here he was. He appeared to them. Now, it's very easy not to kind of think or understand what that meant to have someone that you saw die and you know that is a dead man and we have buried him in the ground and then suddenly he's there standing full of life in front of you that is very very scary so what was his body like what was he like in all the other cases the people who rose from the dead they had been like dead on a slab and then their spirit came back into them they woke up and they were restored to health and away they went with their life again but there was something about Jesus' resurrection that was completely different. The resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Jesus, his whole body, his original body that he had lived in, that he had died on the cross in, was totally changed. The power of God changed that body, so no longer was it a physical body limited to the physical realm. The body he had was reconstructed and had unusual capacity. Let's just read a few verses in Mark 16 and verse 12. After that, Jesus appeared in another form to two of the disciples, and they didn't recognize him. So Jesus, in his resurrection body, had the capacity to change into a different shape. He wasn't recognized. Think about that. His body was immortal, incorruptible. That meant... There was no part of it got old anymore. No teeth fell out. No hair fell out. There's nothing old anymore. Everything was renewed and could never corrupt. He would never die. He's absolutely immortal, so he could not be killed or shot. Uh, you have a look in, uh, in Luke 24. That's another example uh, or uh, a situation of Jesus after he rose from the dead. Luke 20, uh, 24. Let's read what happens there. Luke 24. And uh, Jesus has been walking with them. And verse 16, their eyes were restrained 
they didn't recognize him. Have a think about that. Here's someone they have lived with for three years. Now he's walking with them, and they can't recognize who he is. He has the capacity to change himself. When uh, Mary, who knew Jesus very well, met him in the garden, she thought he was a gardener. She did not recognize him. So in the resurrection, the body of a person is able to change shape, able to change form. The word there is the word morph. And uh, notice another thing there in verse 31. It says in verse 30, It came to pass as he sat at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and he knew them, and they knew him. Now notice this. He vanished from their sight. So when a person has been resurrected, their body can never be corrupted again. They can never die. There's no way they can be killed. They are beyond that happening to them. Their body can change shape. Their body can vanish in and out of the physical realm and into the realm of heaven. And their body is able to suddenly appear, come through walls, and turn up. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how scary that is to have someone do something like that? How it just defies all thinking. You're talking to someone and you've touched their hand, they've shared food with you, and then suddenly in front of your very eyes, they're gone, just like that. Now, the mind can't comprehend it. You see, you read it, you've seen it in the scriptures before, but often we don't take time to think about what that must have been like to be talking with a man, walking with a man, sitting and eating with a man, and suddenly you recognize it's the Lord, and then right there, his dish still there in place, cup of coffee still there in place, he just vanishes in front of your eyes. In other words, he was no longer constrained by the physical world. He was able to enter into the realm of eternity and back into the physical world at ease. That's what it means to have a resurrection body incorruptible totally notice down and uh, just read a little bit further down and uh, verse uh, 36 now the disciples were in the upper room and they shut the door and as they said these things and were talking Jesus himself stood in the midst and said peace but they were terrified frightened and thought they were seeing a ghost imagine if you've got the doors are locked and there's just 12 of you in a room and suddenly poof someone turns up there They were freaked out. They were scared. They were terrified. This is beyond human reasoning. And then they said to him, look, verse 39, look, behold my hands and feet. It's me. It's myself. It's me. Hey, come and touch me. Handle me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like you see I have. And he showed him his hands and his feet. So you notice it looked just like a human body, but it had unusual power and qualities. No wonder they, they were terrified. Do you think you'd be any different? See, it's, it's because it's supernatural. The supernatural tends to frighten people. It's un, undescri- indescribable. So he rose from the dead. And uh, I want you to understand that he wasn't the only one who rose. Have a look back in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Let me just read from verse, uh, um, verse 51. This is straight after Jesus died on the cross. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth quaked. The rocks were split. The graves were opened. Notice this. When Jesus died on the cross, the graves broke open. Now, for Jude to have the, the grave break open, that's very serious. They had to go and guard the grave. They couldn't do anything about it. It was the Sabbath. They had to sit there and wait until 
and guard these, these places so they would have been waiting outside those graves. Now notice what happened, it says, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So Jesus was the first to rise from the dead and notice it says many, not all. Many were raised from the dead after Jesus' resurrection. And not only that, they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. So who were some of those? Well, probably Joseph was because Joseph knew this was going to happen and that's why he commanded his bones to be taken from Egypt and buried there near Jerusalem. Probably Abraham knew because that's why he bought a cave and his descendants were all buried in the cave with him because they wanted to be near what they knew would happen one day. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come. He'd come into the earth, die on the cross, and rise gloriously from the dead. And at that time, they also would rise with him. They had a great hope that stretched for centuries. They looked and saw Jesus' day. Abraham said, uh, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Abraham saw the day of the Messiah, saw his resurrection from the dead. He got it by revelation and it became a great hope. The only thing he purchased in his life that I'm aware of was a cave to be buried near where this was going to happen. His hope was of the resurrection. So the Bible tells us many, not all, at that time rose from the dead. They had a resurrection body. They could walk in and out of rooms, walk in and out of heavenly realm, walk in and out. They, they were immortal. Imagine that. Just imagine that. What would you do to be part of that? Imagine if that was to happen today. What wouldn't you give to be part of that? If some were resurrected and others weren't, what wouldn't you give to be part of that? Think about that. We'll get to that in a moment, and you'll see that that's the great hope that we have. It's a great hope. That's what motivates us to move forward with God and to grow. Very, very important. Let's go on and read a little bit more then. So belief in the resurrection is totally foundational for the Christian faith. Because of this, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13 to 16, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then number one, your sins can't have been forgiven. Number two, it's a waste of time believing in him because he's dead like everyone else. And so Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, God proved this was the Son of God. You see, the political leaders, the religious leaders came together saying that he's not the Son of God. They put him to death and God raised him up and proved he's the Son of God by resurrection, Romans 1.4 tells us. And so if, our, if there's no resurrection, the Christian faith has no hope for anyone. But there is a resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the dead he will come again, and there is a great hope. In Romans 10 and verse 9 and 10, it tells us, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead, foundational to becoming a Christian is belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are many other religions, their founders, all of them are dead. None rose again from the dead. None rose from the dead. There's only Jesus Christ. Only in Christianity has our founder died on our behalf and then rose from the dead, seen by hundreds, and will one day come again. 
You and I need to recognize this is unique to the Christian faith. Let's move on. Now, the Bible tells us all will experience resurrection. In Hebrews 9, verse 27, we ask the question, what happens when people die? Very, very simple. I'll explain it to you in a moment. I can't develop it. I'd like to, but we'll just give you just the brief bit. In Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, judgment. The judgment, final judgment, comes, as we'll see in a moment, after the resurrection. But uh, it appointed a man once to die. You don't get a second round. So if you think you're coming back again, well, you're not coming back again. Once to die. Every person has an appointment with death. None of us can shake it. Unless the Lord comes and we are changed, then we will die and we will have appointment with God. And that appointment with God is, uh, is going to determine then our destiny. So death is just a separation of your body and your soul and spirit. The Bible says we are a three-part being, spirit, soul, body. We live in the body, but we are a spirit being. So when a person dies, their body just returns and disintegrates and just becomes dust in the earth again. God, by his power, is able to reconstitute all of the DNA, every part of who you were, who you were when you were alive on the earth, put it back together again and resurrect that body that you lived in. So the body you're in now, God is going to resurrect it. Thank God for that. We'll get more teeth. <laughs> God will resurrect that body. See? So what happens after you die? Well, immediately after you die, if you're a believer, the angels gather you. The Bible tells us in Luke 16, the angels gather you into the presence of the Lord. You're welcomed into heaven, and you're there until the day of resurrection. If you're a person who's rejected Christ, walked anti-God, then the spirit of death takes hold of you. And you can never be in the presence of God. You'll always be separated from Him for eternity. In Luke chapter 16, it describes it in that place of suffering where people that we know are now there. They have their memory. They remember who they were when they are on the earth. They remember their loved ones. They have memory of uh, people that they had relationship with on the earth. They remember experiences when they're on the earth. They also suffer terribly. The rich man who was in, the, uh, in, uh, in hell suffered immensely. And while he was there, he had memory of his brothers. He had memory of his family, memory of his experiences in life. And yet he had all of that memory with him. It doesn't tell us he was aware what was happening on the earth. So I don't think people in that place are aware what is going on, but they remember their family members. He saw into the realm where, uh, they, where uh, Lazarus was. He saw into the other realm, the realm where people are in rest with God, that realm called paradise, that realm of heaven now where people go. He saw into that realm, and uh, he was distressed because he could see there was a great divide and no one could cross it. After you die, there's no coming back. After you die, there's no chance to have a second chance. After you die, there's a decision made where you'll spend eternity. And you make that decision on the earth. We receive Jesus Christ. It sets the course of our life. And now we must walk with him and stay in him and not abandon him. And so what happens then, at the moment after you die, within a split second, immediately your spirit and soul leaves your body, goes into eternity. And your decision of how you responded to Christ will determine what happens to you in that place. Now, the Bible says that all will rise from the dead. So in John 5, verse 28 and 29, it says, this is what Jesus said. He taught this. The time will come when all, all who are in the graves will hear his voice, the voice of Jesus Christ, and will come forth. There it is. This has got the scripture up there. Put it up again. 
will come forth. Some to a great resurrection, some not to a great resurrection. Let's have a look at another scripture in Revelations 20. I want to stick with this and then we'll come to the end. In Revelations chapter 20, Revelations 20, just turn there and have a look in verse 11. Now I saw a great white throne and on him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up her dead who were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the Bible teaches then that all will be resurrected from the dead. Jesus said, all will come forth to be resurrected from the dead. So every person that's ever lived in history, there will come a day when they will rise from the dead, their body will be changed, their spirit will be reunited with their body. They'll be there again, that person there again. Now, at that time then, the books are open, and then the eternal judgment takes place. And there's no one exempt. No one exempt. In Mark 12, verse 24, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So people do not vanish, do not cease to exist when they die. They go into eternity, and they're either in the presence of God, Paul said to be absent with, uh, from the body, present with the Lord. They're present with the Lord. Stephen, when he died, said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So the Bible's very clear. When you die, you're in the presence of the Lord or in your place of torment. There comes a point where there will be a resurrection of all people, and following that resurrection, a determination is made of your destiny forever. Forever, based on what you did. Now, I want to show you something else you may not have seen before. Have a look in Revelations 20, verse Uh, verse 4 now there's something the Bible describes here it says and I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God and they had not worshipped the beast or his image nor received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived notice this they lived and they reigned with Jesus Christ for a thousand years So the beginning of Revelation 20, there will come a point in time when the devil will be bound and imprisoned. So the spiritual powers which have deceived the nations for generations will be bound. Their influence will no longer be there. They'll no longer be able to cast their influence upon the nations of the earth. So there will be a period of a thousand years. And in that period of a thousand years, all demonic activity will cease. The devil and his cohorts will be bound for 1,000 years. During that 1,000 years, it will be a period in earth's history that has never been seen ever before, but which is prophesied from one end of the Bible to the other. It will be an unprecedented season of prosperity and peace in the earth. It's a great hope to look forward to. There's no political solution to the dilemmas that we face in the world. The only solution really ultimately is the coming of Christ 
when what he will do will bind spiritual powers. Notice in chapter 20, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, verse 1, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that serpent of old, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Cast him in the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him, so he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years were finished. But then he's released for a little while. So there will be a period where there's no demonic activity. Can you imagine no demonic activity? A lot of people can't understand the extent to which demonic activity creates the problems in the nations. Much church of the church in the West won't even acknowledge it and deal with it. But for us who understand things of the spirit, we understand there is a very real spirit world. Spiritual powers influence people, and they run and control and manipulate the courses of nations. They control what goes on in the earth through deception, through spiritual power. Can you imagine when they are bound for a thousand years, what it will be like on the earth without all of that there? An unprecedented season of peace and prosperity in earth history till the devil's released again. See, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. So now he sees in the spirit and he sees thrones. A throne is a position of governance, a position of authority and power. So authority that the devils had to give up, a body of some believers anyway, has taken and possession of those and now have the power and authority representing the Lord to bring about amazing and substantial changes in the earth. It says, I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for their witness for Jesus. Clearly, they come up. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again till a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, notice this, that there are some people enter the first resurrection. Some people do not. The assumption everyone has is that they would be, all in the first resurrection would be Christians. It's an assumption rather than a reality. Notice what it says, the rest of the dead. That's all other dead, apart from those who the Bible refers to enter into the first resurrection. Now, among those who come into the first resurrection are people who gave up their life for Christ. Now, imagine that. That's the kind of, this is the kind of people it's talking about. People who lived their life for Christ passionately, fervently, and some of them laid their life down for Christ. They are counted worthy to be in that first resurrection. I don't think someone who's a lukewarm believer and lives in compromise and doesn't represent Christ, it's hard to imagine how they could be in that. Not only that, it says, uh, I saw thrones and they sat on them. And you notice if you read right through the book of Revelation, the first four chapters, that only those who overcame were ever given that kind of authority. So the first resurrection, notice what it says. It says, blessed and holy is he who has part on the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with them a thousand years. I don't think we should assume that we will reign with Christ if we don't walk with him, fellowship with him, and endure suffering for his sake in this life. Think about that. The assumption automatically is everyone just makes it in. But actually, that's what the Bible talks. The Bible talks about those who live a life that honors God, a life that overcomes the difficulties that are in the current church age, the current age we live in. Jesus spoke to the lukewarm church of Laodicea. 
he said, uh, Blessed is the man who overcomes lukewarmness, apathy, and indifference. He shall sit with me in my throne. So God has reserved rewards for those who walk with him. So we can all access and come into heaven, but when we're resurrected and how we're resurrected and the realm we live in in resurrection, now that varies and that depends on what you have done with your life as a steward of Christ while on the earth. Think about that. Notice we just already read the books were open. And Jesus said in another part in Revelation 22, I come and my reward is with me to give each man according to his works. So very clearly what it's talking about here is a resurrection of reward, a resurrection of privilege. It's spoken of in other parts of the Bible. I'll just give you two references to it. One is found in Hebrews 11 and verse 35, and it said some had great victories with their life. Some did great things to change nations. Others were put to death. Now notice what it says. They were put to death, and what they were believing for was a more powerful or a stronger resurrection. You see, they went to death because they believed there was some a prize to be won. Paul spoke of the same prize in Philippians chapter 3. We'll just look at that and then finish for today. Philippians chapter 3. Paul was aware of this too. Philippians chapter 3. He begins to talk about his own journey. Now, Paul was a great apostle. But look, he did amazing things. Now, notice what he says here in verse 10. Oh, that I might know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Notice this. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Now he's saying, I'm doing these things if I might get to here. When there's always a word, if, you know there's a possibility you may not get there. You will catch the bus if you're on time. If you're not on time, you don't catch the bus. You catch the plane if you are on time. So notice what he's saying. He's saying, I do these things. I seek to know him. I seek to discover the power of his resurrection. I seek to walk in the fellowship and friendship, uh, connecting with him over, over the rejection that often comes for being a Christian, being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. And the word resurrection here is a word used no other place in the Bible. It's a word, uh, anastasis is the word uh, resurrection. This is ek anastasis, meaning the out from resurrection, the resurrection that causes people to stand up, stand out from everyone else that is dead. He's talking about the first resurrection. And he's saying, notice what he goes on to say. And he says, brethren, he said, I press on, verse 12. Verse 13, I do not count myself to apprehend one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, reaching forth to the things which are ahead. I press to the goal for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let any of us who be mature have that same mind. And if you're thinking differently, God will reveal it to you. Notice what he's saying. My whole life is motivated because of what I see is coming in the future. There is a day when there will be a first resurrection. I want to be in that resurrection. I want to be with Christ. I want to be part of that great resurrection. Can you imagine what it would be like to be living on the earth for a thousand years? You can never die, never suffer, never be put to death, never be corruptible, and you can now fulfill a mission for God bringing the earth into the order that he intended it to be born into. What 
This is called the hope of the believer. This is called the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Paul writes it in Colossians, said, it's Christ in you. The hope one day you'll be filled with the glory of God. Your, resur- your body will be resurrected. And you will walk this earth representing him just as he did after he was raised from the dead. What an amazing thing. Notice what he says and down there in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven from where we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body that it might be conformed to his glorious body according to the working whereby he can subdue everything. It is not too difficult for God to do this thing. It is very clear in that first resurrection, not all will rise. But there will be some who have died who will rise from the dead. There will be some who are alive who will be changed and Christ will be seen in his people. What an amazing motivation for you and me to serve him passionately and to come in to such a wonderful destiny that he has for us. You know, the Bible tells us that this resurrection life has already begun in you. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says this. It says, the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who resurrected Jesus Christ, changed his body, joined him back together, raised him from the dead. When you became a Christian, that same Spirit of God was put in you. That same Holy Ghost is in you. Now notice what he says. The same Spirit that was able to raise Jesus from the dead can quicken, energize, activate, restore your mortal body. You can be filled with the life of God. Because he's put his Holy Spirit in you. It's a resurrection spirit. That spirit that you've got in you, that Holy Spirit of God, raised Jesus from the dead. He can energize you with life. That's why we encourage you to build a spirit life. Because if you don't, you won't have life, resurrection, power inside, filling you, making you healthy and full of life, energy, vitality, able to release the power of God to people. It's not just for a handful. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the resurrection power of God has already started in you. It's your responsibility to cultivate your relationship with God so you live energized in the Holy Ghost, full of the power of God, flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, releasing the life of God to others. This is the privilege of every believer. Resurrection took place when I received Christ. I come alive. My spirit is joined to the one who's risen from the dead. Now you and I can walk in a new life. You got baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's the entrance into that realm of life. It's not so difficult. It's not so hard. It's a life serving God. It's a life where you meditate. It's a life where you let the Word get into you. You learn how to pray strongly. And the life of God begins to fill you. It's for every believer. It's for every believer. And one day there is a hope that if I serve God and walk with Him and fellowship with Him and endure things for His sake, that I will qualify for that great resurrection, the first resurrection. What an amazing challenge we have. Let's just close our eyes right now. Father God, we thank You for such a great hope that is set before us. 
If you were watching today on television today, then the best thing you could do would be to open your life to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian today, then you're not walking with God. You have a destiny separated from God, and that destiny will start the moment your heart stops. When your heart stops, time will stop. You'll enter eternity, and you know what I say is true. What a great thing if we were to just receive Christ right now. I want us just to pray this prayer together, and then we're going to stand and just honor Jesus and clap to him who rose from the dead. Father in heaven, I open my heart to you. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I believe in you. I receive you as my Savior. I turn from all sin. I turn from all false gods. I receive you as my Savior and give you my life today. Before heaven and earth I declare, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord and friend forever. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a clap, shall we? Hallelujah. We believe in you, Jesus. Your power rests within us today. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand together and let's begin to pray in tongues. Let's let that life of that spirit that raised Christ from the dead begin to express inside us right now. Come on. I want you to do this for 15 seconds. Pray in tongues as strongly, as loudly as you can and see the difference. Father, let the resurrection life of Jesus grow and increase in us, manifest through us, touching the people around us, And Lord, to you we give all the honor and all the glory. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for going to the deepest parts. Thank you for rising from the dead. You're our Savior and you've set us free. You've set us free. Come on, let's celebrate. Free. I'm free. I'm free. Some are four. I'm free. Amen. I'm free. Come on. I'm free. If you were here today and you prayed that prayer for the first time and you really meant it, why don't you come up? We'd love to pray with you and talk with you and give you a little gift. If you have need for ministry or prayer, please feel free to come right out on the front right now. Thank you, Lord. I'm free. Come on. The resurrection life of Jesus is in you. There's nothing. Nothing too difficult for him. And I am free to live for
and thank you for one another. Thank you for all you've done for us. Let the resurrection life of Jesus flow like a mighty river in our midst. Day by day, week by week, into the community in Jesus' name. God bless you. Give someone a high five before you go.